The following is an Auburn Network production. You are on the line. Live on ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. Online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. To be on the line, call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Jacob Goertz. You're on the line here on ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika Sports Leader. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Hope you're doing well on this gloomy, cold, and somewhat rainy Wednesday afternoon here in the Auburn Opelika area on this Wednesday, November 15th, 2023. This is On the Line, the show that tells you like it is and holds nothing back. I'm your man, Jacob Goins, with you for the next two hours here on ESPN 106.7. And if you missed our announcement on Monday, I'm now joined on Monday, Wednesday, Fridays by my new co-host, Uncle T-Bone Wade Bennett in the studio as well here in the Auburn Plaza Bar and Lounge Studio. Uh, Wade, happy Wednesday, brother. Hope you're doing well, and uh, we got a lot to go over today. Yeah, we do here on Rivalry Wednesday. That's right. Gloomy is right, Jacob. Uh, You said it earlier before we got in here. Uh, Somebody uh, light up the fireplace. Uh, It's (laughs) wood-burning season here on the Plains. Uh, You know, just stick around, though. I'm sure in a couple of days it'll be 85 and everybody will be sick again, but Uh. uh, happy to be here on this Wednesday, and we do have a lot to talk about i mean we had some action last night you want yeah to we did there, right yeah we did have some action last night we had that and and some really good uh, uh college basketball games last night that, and you know me i love college basketball uh, some really really good games last yeah, night Yeah, i watched both those games last night uh back to back uh duke taking care of business against michigan state duke looked really good and then kentucky taking kansas number one kansas down to the uh down to the wire i hope yeah. that's not a preview of what we're gonna have to deal with in the sec this year but i'm afraid that it is well here's the problem with that kentucky team they're down three of their big men right that's not even the full kentucky squad yet so um they're gonna be really talented man john calipari's got another good team but don't you worry. They'll find a way to lose in this Sweet 16. Uh, that's what they're good at. So um, college basketball was great last night. We've got some football to talk about. Want to talk some Auburn football recruiting today as we had uh, a big name on campus here on the Plains. And then uh, just talking about where recruiting could go here down the stretch in this season of 2023 into 2024 for head coach Hugh Freeze and Auburn football. We'll get into some of that today. we got to talk about the new college football playoff rankings that came out last night uh, and talk about the changes that were made and who's going to get in. I mean, it's still just so up in the air there. Um, And as you mentioned, it is Rivalry Wednesday, which means Jordan Hill of Dogs 247 will join us at 2.30. We'll get caught up on the Georgia Bulldogs football and basketball. Um, And then in hour number two, Austin Hannon of Bama Central will join us, the Alabama Sports Illustrated site, to talk a little hoops and football for the Crimson Tide as well. So looking forward to talking to both of those guys. Uh, But around them, phone lines are open. We want to hear from you on a Wednesday afternoon. What's on your mind? What do you want to talk about? Good, bad, ugly, whatever it is, give us a call. 334-321-1390. That number again, 334-321-1390. And uh, Uncle T-Bone, I want to to start the show with, with what I mentioned. Auburn football recruiting 
has gotten significantly better since Hugh Freeze got here. I think that is obvious. I think you can see it. Everybody is feeling it. Um, And there's already some big-name recruits committed for 2024 and even starting in 2025. But the big question for a lot of folks right now, as Auburn is winning games, as Auburn's building some momentum, and you have coaches being fired at big-name schools, yes, I'm talking about Jimbo Fisher at Texas A&M, the question is becoming, okay, what can this 2024 class look like for Auburn football? I mean, the potential is extremely high for the class of 2024. Yeah, I'm more of a, uh, you know, there's several recruiting services out there and they all do a great job. And, uh, you know, I kind of pay attention more to the scout guys and the rivals guys here at Jason Caldwell and Mm -hmm. Ryan Matthews at the other site. Rivals does a very good job, I believe. Uh, in in recruiting they currently have Auburn ranked number 16th as a team recruiting but if you look at the average score we're a 3.78 and that puts us sixth in the nation that is a big time improvement over the last not just couple of years when Brian Harson was here but the last the last couple of years that uh, Gus Malzahn was here look you can just tell by the quality of player that Auburn is getting committed who else is recruiting them is always a key indicator mm-hmm. and a lot of these guys I don't think that Auburn especially on the defensive side of the ball no offense to anybody there now or that's played in the last couple of years has recruited at this type of athlete and this kind of so-called dog since Will Muschamp and Tavarius Robinson were here back in the mid, you know, 2015-2016. Yeah, and, you know, you, you look at some of the guys, we're about to get to the phone lines here in just a second, but you look at some of the guys that are already committed uh, on that defensive line with, with TJ Lindsey, um, with Malik Blockton. We saw that pop a few weeks back. Oh, and, yeah. and, you know, there's still other guys that Auburn's going after, even ones that are committed to other schools and other SEC schools. Uh, the one that comes to my mind is LJ McRae, the Florida commit uh, on the defensive line. So Auburn's going after big names and they're getting big names. We know this linebacker class is one of the best that Auburn is probably ever going to sign uh, with Demarcus Riddick, the big flip there, and D'Angelo Barber. I mean, and, and even in 2025 as well, man, Auburn's pulling in some serious linebackers as well. Did you see where Florida lost another commitment today? I did. Well, it's really kind of coming off the rails down there in Gainesville. Four-star defensive lineman Nazir Johnson flips to Georgia. Those are the type players that uh, Billy Napier was uh, really kind of hanging his hat on uh, to overcome, you know, the the doubters and the haters with his record during this rebuild that they have at Florida. And, and make no mistake, that's a massive rebuild. Also, Auburn flipping Jamonte Waller, linebacker out of Mississippi, six two two twenty five, really an outside guy, four star. Mm-hmm from florida last uh last friday i no last saturday i believe you mentioned the linebackers and this has been something that's just been a burr for me for quite some time since really nick saban stepped out of the uh the uh, private jet and hit the tarmac in tuscaloosa he has wrecked auburn's linebacker recruiting specifically in state i don't have to remind everybody do i about the two that left from auburn high school in back-to-back years mm. reuben foster and Rashad. Sean Evans. One of them even had an AU tattoo <laughs> at some point. Yep. So, um, look, the and, and, and he has. He has dominated Auburn in-state in recruiting linebacker-wise. We have pulled in some good guys despite that, which is uh, uh, really says a lot about the Auburn brand. But this is 
without a doubt, if Auburn can – and people need to remember, too, we're recruiting other people's classes. People are still recruiting ours just as hard as we're recruiting theirs. So yeah. it's going to go down to the wire. But if Auburn holds on to these linebackers – I can easily say in all my years, this is the best linebacker class we've had, probably going back to the Pat Dye years. Yeah, including Joseph Phillips and Jamonta Waller in there as well. I mean, 2024, there's already some dudes that are committed to this team. But everybody is really starting to ponder, okay, how big can it get? How high can this class rise in the rankings and everybody is looking at the receiver spot that's where everybody's looking at because of a couple of reasons right because of what's happening on the field this season with the receiver position and we knew this was probably going to be the case but it's been probably the weakest point on the entire team for Auburn this year is the receiver spot and so everybody's wondering okay nobody has stepped up to do anything this year Auburn's got to go find a guy whether it be recruiting or the transfer portal that can come in and be the guy next year who goes out to catch the football. And also, people are focused on the receivers and recruiting because of what Auburn has already done in the receiver room when it comes to recruiting. I mean, you already have Perry Thompson committed, who is one of the best receivers, not just in the state of Alabama, but one of the best receivers in the country. You already have Bryce Kane committed, who is a top receiver as well. And you also have Malcolm Simmons, who's committed. And the two other ones out there that Auburn is still pursuing, Uncle T, they're still going after Cam Coleman, the Texas A&M commit, and Ryan Williams, the Alabama commit. And Auburn feels like, and especially right now, they feel like they can get them all. The Ryan Williams story obviously is a uh, almost a heartbreaking type recruiting story if you're an Auburn fan, seeing how that he is an Auburn legacy and uh, the previous staff spent about zero seconds trying to recruit him uh, seriously and did not quite show the love that you show probably the number one player in the state of Alabama and one of the best players coming out of the state of Alabama in years. The possibility still remains that he bumps up, gets out early. It's not a 2025 guy, but a 2024 guy. So that is a, uh, even if he does not end up at Auburn, just getting back into the recruiting battle with him is a great step in the right direction and an indicator of what this staff is going to do. Now, Cam Coleman, on the other hand, that's a different story mm-hmm. because he's a 2024 guy who's about, oh, I don't know, 30 minutes down the road with our good friends over in Central Phoenix City, coached by you-know-who, Pat Nix, a former Auburn coach, and has been committed to uh, Texas A&M for quite some time. Damian Craig, a key, uh, key integral part in that a commitment but also the <clears throat> nil money possibly that a&m was able to offer such a highly touted recruit look he's the number one player in the state according to al.com you know i kind of looking at perry thompson and the reddick linebacker from chilton county and i'm like how are these guys not number one in the state this is a little biased this is al.com kind of trying to stick it to auburn like they always do <laughs> that's right you know al uh, alabama.com right yeah, but uh, but uh you know then um i had a friend of mine go to the auburn uh, central game who knows football very well mm-hmm. and he called me from that game and said wade this is the best 
high school player I may have ever seen in my life. Talking about Cam Coleman. Yes. I, I heard that so many times after that game from our great friend right. Jack Cudden on the broadcast. That's I mean, right. they, they just they couldn't they believe what they saw. He was a complete maniac yeah. out there and, and was so physical and so fast and so strong that, that, I mean, it was like Julio Jones, whatever. Right. This is the best receiver ever to come out of this state. And so that's when I was like, all right, maybe I ought to just take this uh, ranking that AL.com has a little bit more seriously we all know the situation now Jimbo Fisher is out at Texas A&M there's blood in the water and I can promise you it's just not Hugh Freeze trying to get back in that recruitment and commitment game with Cam Coleman yeah and the, the thing with Ryan Williams he's technically a 2025 the, the they're expecting him to become a 2024 and reclassify um, and you're still trying to flip him from Alabama so that's going to be tough especially as a receiver and then the Cam Coleman thing is is interesting because it seemed he was an Auburn lock. I mean, it was he was coming to Auburn, he was picking Auburn, and then last second, he flipped to Texas A&M. And so there's a lot of people in the recruiting game that are, are a little worried and a little scared and not putting all of their eggs in this basket just yet because you just don't know. I mean, look, you're still dealing with 17, 18-year-old kids. They could do whatever they want. You really don't know what they're going to do. Um, but the Jimbo Fisher news obviously uh, has – has helped that um and i'm sure auburn is all over it and we know they've been all over it because he was just in auburn right and he was just here on campus um and i think that is a huge part what we'll talk some more about that coming up in just a minute but want to get to the phone lines 334-321-1390 i believe we have john on the line you're on the line john what's up hey guys i just uh, heard a familiar voice uh T-Bone used to call on the show with Bill Cameron years ago, and you started talking about his blood boiling. Is it still boiling there, T-Bone? Oh, you know it is, my friend. Yeah, that's how I kind of really got uh, into the uh, sports talk radio game back in the mid-'90s when uh, Andy Bertram and Bill Cameron were on a uh, sports call show on a station to be named later, not named oh, this yeah. one. So uh, we, we had a good time, and that was a great, great show and a special time for uh, sports talk radio, really in its genesis in the uh, Lee County area at that time. Well, I know this old boy that used to sell radio advertising for that show and lives over in Demopolis now, and I asked him if this was the same T-Bone, and he said, well, you know, you don't have a hair on your behind if you don't call and ask him. So <laughs> I, I, hey, I, know I, that, uh, I know that Pork Piggler very very well as, as well, so I'm glad he's doing well over in West Alabama. All right, man. Well, it was great to hear you on here, and, and I'm glad I don't have to listen to Feinbaum anymore. <laughs> oh, yeah. Definitely <laughs> don't that. listen to Paul Feinbaum. No, Why no, would you no. listen to Paul Feinbaum when you got the next Paul Feinbaum sitting next to me and Jacob Goins? This guy is so talented. So we're going to wreck oh, that is. show, right? Oh, that's right. All right, man. Well, great to hear you all. Yeah, appreciate the call, John. Good to hear from you. 334-321-1390. We'd love to hear uh, from you as well on the phone lines. We'll go ahead and take our first break here in hour number one. We'll come back, continue talking a little recruiting uh, as we're talking the ride receiver stuff with Auburn. Plus, want to get into question of the day with the new college football playoff rankings that came out last night as well. All that coming up here on the Wednesday edition of On the Line. You are on the line. On ESPN 106.7, online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 106.7 app. 
All right, back inside the Auburn Plaza Bar and Lounge Studio for the Wednesday edition of On the Line. He's Uncle T-Bone. I am Jacob Goins with you on ESPN 106.7. Got a few minutes before we get to Jordan Hill of Dogs 247. We'll have him on at the bottom of the hour. Um, I want to get back to the recruiting conversation real quick before we um, get to the college football playoff rankings that came out last night. When talking about Auburn recruiting with these wide receivers we know we got the big one with perry thompson right and you've gotten the big one um on on the hook right you had cam coleman right there and then he flipped to texas a&m and you still got ryan williams who's committed to alabama who is expected to flip from 2025 to 20 or i guess reclassify from 2025 to 2024 and there's a lot of fans for auburn that are starting to get a little I got some confidence and starting to get a little excited about what the potential of the wide receiver room could look like when it comes to recruiting. I mean, look, we'd obviously love to get both of them and imagine a room with Ryan Williams, Cam Coleman, and Perry Thompson on top of Bryce Kane that's already committed. I mean, that would be that would be the most stacked wide receiver room coming in as a commit as recruits that Auburn has probably ever had I mean that would just be ridiculous to do but how surreal is that expectation I think is is the question oh I mean you know (laughs) you talk about that's not just the icing on the cake that's like the icing of all icings on the cake that's the whole freaking realistic you're asking how realistic is to continue to lock down the guys that we have nobody leave which I, I think everyone right now and that's committed to Auburn at wide receiver uh will stay with Auburn um unless they just kind of feel like maybe one of them gets bumped out because so many other people are committing I don't know uh that that's that's about a hundred percent to me and yeah with with and, Thompson Kane and yeah, Simmons yeah there's there's no 100 percent in recruiting so um, you know, you can't just say that, but that's that's very likely to get. I think Auburn has a better chance of actually getting Ryan Williams to come on board because he's a legacy than to get Cam Coleman to go ahead and come back, even though he was here to get both of them and to keep the other three guys and have the greatest wide receiving class that Auburn's ever had. And Hugh Freeze hasn't even been here one year on campus. I mean, the likelihood of that, what, you know, really realistically, 30 percent if that well here's the thing too you got to think about this these guys are all some of the best in their position in high school and I mean they they could realistically play just about anywhere they wanted to and with a guy like Cam Coleman for example if he stays at Texas A&M he would be the guy at Texas A&M right Ryan Williams will more than likely be the guy at Alabama now they're going to have more because it's Alabama but these guys could go anywhere they wanted to be and be it. They would be the receiver. Their name would be all over the place. Their stats would be high, and they're going to get a chance to go pro. The downside that these receivers could look at is if you come to Auburn, if you're Cam Coleman, you're having to share the field with Perry Thompson, Ryan Williams, if that happens, and and Bryce Kane and Malcolm Simmons all at the same time, right? That's really tough for yeah. big name receivers to have to share the field and I'm not saying that's an issue for them because I don't know them like that but that's something you have to take into consideration and I guarantee they are taking into into consideration as well 
you know, offenses have changed so much since I was growing up and, and beginning to follow football. I mean, that's, you know, we've gone from the wishbone to actually throwing the ball a little bit around in college football. And But if you'll take a look about three, four years ago in Tuscaloosa, they had maybe the four best wide receivers on their team all at one time. All of those guys went to the NFL. All of them were drafted very highly. I don't think it's as big an issue of being the guy anymore in the receiving room because in the NFL also, there's been a fundamental shift from everyone having to have that guy at running back for example, and like in college football when we were growing up with Herschel Walker and Bo Jackson and Eric Dickerson, you always had that guy. Well, you know, now and, – and so it used to be 20 years ago a wide receiver would be that guy. Now there's three or four of those that guys. It's not that big a deal anymore. You're going to see the field if you can play. And somebody like Hugh Freeze in his uh, history with wide receivers has proven – he's proven that he can get three or four of you on the field all at one time and you're going to have plenty of eyeballs on you and plenty of scouts looking at you to go to the NFL even if you're not getting the ball thrown to you 50% of the time well I'm glad you bring that up because that's a text that I just got that I wanted to 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 read out and somebody saying that Hugh Freeze is the guy if there is any coach that can coach three or four big name wide receivers at the same time Hugh Freeze is it because look at his time at Ole Miss in the receiver room he had at one time DK Metcalf AJ Brown and Laquan Treadwell those are all NFL guys those are all massive NFL guys, and they were it. I mean, those guys could be the exact same way. They could have gone anywhere they wanted to be, and it could have been the guy anywhere they wanted to go. But Hugh Freeze managed it, got them all drafted, and some of those guys are still making impacts on Sundays. And so no question, Auburn has a chance to do something special here, and I wanted to talk about that with, with Cam Coleman being around town um, and and just you just never know man recruiting is so up in the air and it's so hard uh but Hugh Freeze has done a heck of a job there and and I think Auburn fans are excited about the entire recruiting class but especially with that receiver room want to um shift topics of conversation for just a couple of minutes before uh, we get to our bottom of the hour break and we'll have Jordan Hill of Dogs 247 to kick off Rivalry Wednesday here on ESPN 106.7 we get to our question of the day Last night, the college football playoff rankings were released once again, and there was a change at the top. And my question to you, Wade, and to all of our listeners at 334-321-1390, agree or disagree with the college football playoff rankings that were released last night? Totally agree. Yeah, uh, no doubt that Georgia should be number one. I mean, I don't even think that that's a question right now. I mean, they, you know, and look, their their schedule is uh, – we've given them a hard time early on and uh, uh, about their schedule being a little bit weaker than some of the other top teams in college football. It's getting tougher and tougher, obviously, as the season goes on. And, you know, I'm not a big fan of that saying, the eyeball test. Uh, not a big fan of it at all. Because really? I, yeah, no, because, look, uh, you know, I think that's just another way to say that I'm biased – and I'm going to – these are the teams that I want in here, and that's how I'm going to justify it, right? I think things like on-the-field competition, um, conference championships should matter more. But that's just the way I feel about it. But right now, 
Georgia passes the eyeball test. Uh, yes, and, and and they are they they are beating teams. And just like the Michigan Wolverines, also look, I haven't had them in my top five all year because their schedule has been even more putrid than Georgia's. And uh, what did they do this past week? They went up there and took care of Penn State. And not only took care of them, they really passed the eyeball test while they were doing so. Yeah, that's the biggest thing. I think Georgia has proven that they're the number one team. I don't think they ever should have lost their ranking. I really don't. I know Ohio State had a couple of wins, and they did that to Penn State, too. It didn't look pretty, but they did. Um, But Georgia hasn't done anything to not be the number one team. And I know their schedule is, we always joke that it's a cupcake, and most of the time it is. But we discussed last week on Friday what George is going through here at the end of their their schedule. I mean, I know it doesn't look as good now with Tennessee being what they are, but you had number 12 Missouri, number 9 Ole Miss. They handled business in both of those games. Oh, yeah. And now they're on the road in Knoxville taking on, debatingly, a, a top 20 Tennessee team. I don't know if they're top 20, but they are technically in the ranking. So that's what they have. And we already know that Georgia's going to play Alabama again in the SEC championship. So how is Georgia hey, and don't not the number one team? Hey, don't forget about that resurgent Georgia Tech team now at the end of the season. <laughs> the Yellow Jackets are a little bit better than they have been the last couple of years. It right? is on the road. So. A team that Auburn's rumored to possibly be uh, getting a bowl matchup against down in Jacksonville if things work out right in the Gator Bowl, and I would certainly like that. That'd be all right with me. Oh, yeah, yeah, that'd be all right. Well, here's my thing when it comes to the rankings really quick. Georgia should be number one. I'm still on my train that Florida State should not be a top four team. I just don't agree with it. I think Washington's better than them, and I think their resume's better. Um, They have one of the best wins in college football over Oregon. Um, Michigan should be above Ohio State, I think. I think Michigan is, is a solid team, especially with what they did this weekend and yeah i don't have a problem with the washington being ahead of florida state but i still kind of have a problem with ohio state uh, michigan being ahead of ohio state i think that they've proved uh schedule wise that they're a little bit stronger than michigan on paper and they passed the eyeball test too so but that'll all be figured out next week that's right i was gonna say we're about to figure it all out this time next week when we preview it as ohio state and michigan play in the big game we got to get to a break because jordan hill of dogs 247 he's waiting for us we'll get to him when we come back here on the rivalry wednesday edition of on the line Jacob Goertz on ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. Halfway through hour number one here on the Rivalry Wednesday edition of On the Line on ESPN 1067. I'm Jacob Goins. Joining me in the studio is Uncle T-Bone Wade Bennett, my new co-host on Monday, Wednesday, Friday. So we are off and running here on a Wednesday afternoon. And it is Wednesday at 2.30, which means Jordan Hill of Dogs 247 joins us to kick off Rivalry Wednesday. Jordan, great to hear from you, man. We've got a lot to discuss with you today. Yeah, you know, definitely the busiest time of the year with Georgia football and men's basketball underway, and uh, wouldn't have it any other way, that's for sure. Well, let's uh, let's get into it because Georgia now the number one team in college football again, uh, coming off of a top ten, uh, uh, just a big win again, and uh, now they're going to play in Atlanta for the SEC championship game again. 
Yeah, you know, it's sort of been the same old, same old. You do have to give Georgia a lot of credit. I think there were a lot of questions going into last week's game against then number nine Ole Miss. You know, could they show up? Could they be ready to play? Is this an opportunity for Lane Kiffin to probably get the biggest win of his time in Oxford? And Georgia took care of business, 603 yards of offense, 311 passing, 300 on the ground, uh, just an outstanding game. And, you know, I, I really thought there was a good chance Georgia could move to number one in the rankings, having beaten Ole Miss, having beaten Missouri the week before that. I think that they got it right with Georgia going to number one, uh, got the East locked up, as you said. Now just got to survive these last two weeks of the regular season and set up what is probably going to be essentially a play-in game with Alabama for a spot in the college football playoff. Well, you said it, Jordan, two big wins, back-to-back weekends, taking care of Missouri, which I've said is one of the scrappiest teams in the SEC that's uh, not going to be playing in the BCS uh, Final Four that I've seen in years. And then Lane Kiffin comes to town. Any chance for – any kind of letdown heading up to Knoxville, that's not the Tennessee team that I predicted uh, after seeing them, what they did to Clemson last year in the Orange Bowl. I think there's a chance. I mean, it's going to be tough. And, you know, we talked to Kirby Smart after practice on Tuesday. and He was not thrilled. He, he was, you know, got the sense that um, the team was kind of going through the motions in that practice. It made it sound like he really wanted to see a response. And, you know, I do think that, uh, as funny as this might sound, Tennessee may be more dangerous coming off of a loss. You know, Tennessee got eliminated from the East race. Uh, they really have nothing to play for other than pride and the chance to, to be spoilers and to knock Georgia, uh, you know, maybe not completely out of the playoffs, but certainly complicate their chances of making the playoffs. So we know how loud Neyland Stadium is. Uh, we know how tough it is for anyone to win there that is not Tennessee. Uh, Tennessee's currently riding a 14-game home winning streak. Uh, the last team to beat Tennessee in Knoxville was Georgia. So it's going to be tough. You know, I think to me the biggest thing is Georgia's got to stop Tennessee's run game. If they're able to kind of hold them in check there, uh, then Georgia will be able to make it 28 straight wins, which is pretty hard to believe. Jordan, over these last two games against Missouri and then, of course, against Ole Miss in the 52-17 to beatdown that that game was, what is it that Georgia has done to kind of get back to playing Georgia football because they're the number one team in the country again, and it seems like they are uh, playing Georgia Kirby Smart branded football and kind of reminding everybody, hey, we're still here, um, even though we you know, struggled against a couple of teams that maybe they shouldn't have. And, and so what is it over the last couple of weeks and maybe particularly in the Ole Miss game that has really gotten Georgia back to playing their brand of football? I think if you look at last week, the biggest thing was they got some really important guys back. Brock Bowers, who, you know, I went in the week saying, okay, he'll probably play 10 or 15 snaps. He played 45 snaps in his first game well. since the Vanderbilt game. Uh, winds up having three receptions, one of them being a touchdown. Uh, he's just otherworldly. It's it's pretty insane to watch him. And, and even, too, Kendall Milton, who has been back for a few weeks, but I thought Probably had his best game as a Bulldog against Ole Miss. Ran all over them. That was a big part of a Georgia offense that I believe ended the night averaging eight yards a carry, which you'll take that six days a week and twice on Sunday. And, uh, yeah, they got those guys back. Amarius Mims, guy that's been out since the South Carolina game, finally got back. I don't believe he started, but he came in in the second series and played a good bit. Um, so I think that's the biggest thing is that they have finally gotten guys back on the field. 
they're finally playing with a full deck, especially on offense, and they have had to do without for a good bit of the season at several different positions. And defensively, you know, they continue to give up touchdowns on that opening drive, but it seems like after that they really lock in. So I don't, you know, I'm sure that Kirby wants to see a punt on one of those opening drives, but you know, if you give up a touchdown on that opening drive and then play the way Georgia has played these last few weeks, you know, I think they'll take it. I do think this is a team that is really hitting, uh, you know, full stride at the exact right time. And uh, got to take care of business the next two weeks and, and then again uh, be able to beat Alabama. Uh, but I really like where this Georgia team is trending as we go through November. Now, Jordan, before I ask you this next question, I actually met Amarius Mims in the Atlanta airport back in May. He was heading out to a uh, – um, NFL draft party in Las Vegas for one of the Georgia players. A super nice guy. He is massive, by the way, uh, but really, really nice kid. And I told him I'm tired of y'all beating up on my team so bad, and he just started laughing because I was wearing an Auburn hat. So uh, uh, wish him nothing but the best. 2016, Kirby Smart's first year, I believe. The last time Georgia Tech was able to beat Georgia, 28-27. to 27. The dogs have lead this series seven seventy to thirty nine to five, I believe. Do do Georgia fans even care about the Georgia Tech rivalry really anymore? I think the funny thing when we talk about rivalries and some of my friends on the beat, uh, Dog Nation's Connor Riley, I remember him saying this. With the Georgia Georgia Tech rivalry, you know, people debate like Florida, Auburn, Georgia Tech, um, even some folks Tennessee, South Carolina. The Georgia Georgia Tech rivalry is the one you don't want to lose. It, it's not so much what it means when you win, but uh, for Georgia fans, it's absolutely miserable when you lose. So, yeah, I do think it matters to to fans. You know, I think an older generation of Georgia fans cares about that rivalry more uh, for you know the the big moments in that rivalry and the players on both sides. It's lost a little bit of its luster, but I tell folks this all the time that you know rivalries. Uh, come and go you have streaks on each side where somebody dominates and you know it still looks like uh, it's hard to fathom Georgia Tech getting the upper hand uh, but it's totally possible and you know Jim Donnan uh, having the losing streak to Georgia Tech was a big part of the reason he was not retained in the late 90s you have these streaks where uh, one team gets the upper hand Uh, but uh, yeah it's like I said it's it's one of those that uh, Georgia fans don't really care about what it means to play Georgia Tech until uh, the day comes when Georgia Tech winds up getting the upper hand. We're talking with Jordan Hill of Dogs 247 here on the Wednesday edition of On the Line on ESPN 106.7. Two straight road games for Georgia football to end the year, and then they're heading back to Atlanta uh, to play Alabama in the SEC championship game. And you alluded to it earlier, uh, a chance for that to be – the game for the SEC with the winner going to the playoff and the loser maybe on the outside looking in. Uh, anything in particular you look for in these final two regular season games and in that national or in the SEC championship game uh, that maybe Georgia has to work on if they want to get back to the final four? I think the biggest thing is just going to be the secondary stepping up. I mean, I look at a guy like Dalen Everett who from time to time has been picked on and, and you look at um, I don't think that's necessarily going to be the case this weekend Tennessee's just been super banged up at receiver but when you look ahead to that Alabama game they're going to have to play their A game uh, as far as the Georgia secondary that's going to have to include Dalen Everett who 
um, has had his moments, but has also shown that he's only a sophomore, and you kind of see those uh, mistakes from a young guy, and uh, he's going to be tested. And, you know, one of the guys that had played quite a bit behind him, Julian Humphrey, a redshirt freshman, he got hurt against Ole Miss. Um, They haven't said what it is from what I've heard. It sounds like a clavicle. I think he is going to be out for quite some time. Uh, that sort of uh, you know shrinks the margin for error and uh, doesn't leave a whole lot of depth behind Dalen Everett. So to me, that's kind of the biggest thing. Once you get to that Alabama game, secondary's got to step up. I think on the whole, they play really well. Uh, but Dalen Everett's one of those guys that will be tested in a game like that. He's got to bring his A game in order for Georgia to keep Alabama in check and for Georgia to have a chance to move on. You know, you said it earlier, it's such a busy time of year. The hybrid type of season uh, in sports is what I like to call it. Football winding down, basketball starting up. Uh, Georgia basketball, the next three games, hosting number 12 Miami, hosting Winthrop, going to Florida State. Those are no cupcakes. What what should Auburn fans going up against the dogs this year expect to see from Georgia that they haven't seen the last couple of years? And, uh, and what do you think about those three games coming up? That's a tough stretch. Yeah, and they're actually playing Miami and the Bahamas. I'm, okay. I'm a little upset. I did not get the – Yeah, uh, we didn't get the, the invite to that one. Yeah, and um, I'm, I'm very upset, but I guess I'll take a Knoxville trip as a consolation prize. Yeah, I mean, this <laughs> is going to be a, a nice learning – opportunity you know i don't see them beating miami i think miami might be number 12 in the country um but you know there's been some early positive signs for georgia they beat wake forest at home i thought that was a really nice win last week um the biggest thing that i've seen so far is they've they've gotten several different guys involved as far as scoring jabri abdur rahim has been at georgia for quite a while blue Kane, rj melendez noah thomason uh, they are pretty deep as far as their scoring threats the biggest thing, especially by the time they play Auburn, it feels like they're playing Auburn a little bit later in the schedule than we're used to. But Georgia has got to figure out its rebounding situation. Gave up 63 in the loss to Oregon in the season opener. And uh, they've lost the rebounding battle the last two games against Wake Forest and North Carolina Central. So I think Georgia has the potential to be an NIT team. I, I like some of the stuff I've seen early. They've still got a long ways to go. Uh, we'll be a much more competitive Georgia team, uh, but I don't think that they are uh, quite at that upper echelon in the SEC and, and what I think could be a very fun season of SEC basketball. Yeah, where do you stand on, on the SEC right now? Because I, I know we haven't gotten a conference play yet, but it, you've got teams like Kentucky who took Kansas to the wire last night, and they're still not 100%, and, and Auburn trying to figure things out. Alabama continues to put up triple digits uh, when they step on the hardwood, and, and you still have teams like Texas A&M who are going to compete. I mean, where do you where do you stand right now, Jordan, on, on what the SEC could look like in basketball this season? I think it's going to be super deep, and I think it's going to be one of those things where as we're getting into non-conference play, we may feel like we got a really good handle on things, and then for – uh, the opportunity for it to just totally shift once we get to conference play. I mean, the teams I was really excited about going into this year were Tennessee and Arkansas, and also looking at Kentucky, too. Uh, I think that this is one of those chances, especially early in the year, for someone who covers one of these teams, you know, trying to make a real concerted effort to watch everybody else. Saw a little bit of that Kentucky game last night against Kansas. Uh, you know, it's just a very exciting point in the season. Looking forward to try to watch Albert play. Notre Dame to see what that looks like. So 
Uh, there's definitely a lot we can learn right now, but I, I do think it's going to be a knockout, knockdown drag out uh, by the time we get to conference play. And I think you may see some teams that uh, you might have counted out or, or not thought quite as much about uh, hit the upper hand. So I do think this is a very deep conference this year. Hey, Jordan, real quick before you go, um, back to football. Uh, Kirby Smart and staff have just clearly established themselves as some of the best recruiters in college football. A massive uh, decommit for the dog, uh, for the Gators, actually, uh, to Georgia's benefit, Nasir Johnson. I'm looking at about 28 total commitments right now for Georgia. Are there any spots left available? I mean, that seems to be a lot of players committed in one recruiting cycle. I think we may see a couple more guys added. I think it's just going to sort of boil down to what Georgia wants to do as far as the transfer portal, even JUCO. The guy that's really left that we're watching closely is Cam Michael. Uh, he's from Statesboro, Georgia. Uh, he's a guy that Georgia was after really hard. Initially wanted him to play defensive back, and uh, he's a guy that seems like he's a little bit more keen on playing receiver. As this year has gone along and this cycle has come closer and closer to the end, Georgia has become more willing to let him play receiver if he comes to Georgia. He's going to announce on Thanksgiving. And I know A&M is also involved. There's a couple other teams, Tennessee maybe as well. Uh, but he's the big name that's still left. And Georgia's still making calls on some other guys trying to, to flip guys like they did Nutsir Johnson today. Uh, but Cam Michael is the big name to watch. And, uh, you know, along with Turkey Day watching the NFL and everything going on, spending time with family, uh, we're going to be watching closer to see what he does. I can't believe you're going to be working on Thanksgiving Day, Jordan. I, I wouldn't put it past you, man. I don't think you take a day off, do you? No no days off when you cover <laughs> a team like Georgia. There's always something going on, I can promise you. That's right. Well, man, you cover Georgia better than anybody, and that's why we bring you on this show, and we love having you on each and every week for Rivalry Wednesday. Jordan Hill of Dogs 247. Let everybody know where they can find you, check, all out, check out all your work, and what you got coming up over the next few days. Definitely, dogs247.com on Twitter at Jordan Davis Hill on Twitter at dogs247. So, yeah, getting ready to make the trip to Knoxville, watch a little bit of basketball from the Bahamas. Unfortunately, we'll not be on hand for that, but uh, we'll be an exciting few days and excited to see what happens uh, for the football team and the men's basketball. Well, we're looking forward to it as well. We'll have you back on the show next Wednesday, and uh, we'll be talking uh, rivalry weekend coming up next week, and so we're looking forward to it. Absolutely. Appreciate you guys. That's Jordan Hill of Dogs 247, who joins us every Wednesday here on On the Line on ESPN 1067. We'll take our final break, come back, and wrap up hour number one on the other side. You are on the line on ESPN 1067. Call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. Wrapping up our number one here on the Wednesday edition of On the Line. He's Uncle T-Bone. I'm Jacob Goins with you inside the Auburn Plaza Bar and Lounge Studio. We got a couple of minutes and we thank Jordan Hill for his time each and every Wednesday. Go check him out uh, if you're looking to get caught up on anything going on with the Georgia Bulldogs and their athletics and uh, go go check him out, man. He does a fantastic job and we appreciate him and his time each and every Wednesday. I want to come back to the playoff rankings that came out last night because we were starting to talk about that and we got to it a little bit there with Jordan as well um at this point when you look at the playoff rankings that came out last night the big noticeable thing uh was Georgia taking over the top spot for Ohio State 
and uh, Missouri is a top 10 team which I think is is impressive and and I don't think it's being talked about enough but um, everything is still up in the air like there's so many questions left to be answered here um, with the one loss teams of Alabama Texas and Oregon and then the undefeateds of Washington Florida State Michigan Ohio State and Georgia and we know that Ohio State and Michigan will settle itself out. Winner will go to the playoff. Loser will be out next week, which is crazy, but that's just how the Big Ten has worked this year and has worked in the past, really. Um, Florida State is up there beating on high school teams from the ACC, and so they've got a good chance to to make it to the playoff and be undefeated. And, and I don't agree with it. I don't like it. I don't think they're a, one of the best four teams in the country, but if they go undefeated out of the ACC, what are you supposed to do with them? You can't leave them out, right? Yeah, they got to be in. I mean, there's just they've already taken care of business against LSU, who everyone's still hot and heavy over, uh, they, even though they have three losses. And, you know, they, Clemson's playing better, right? When they played Duke, yeah. that was a pretty good team. I mean, you know, they'll get the great Florida Gators next weekend. Oh, no. In a rivalry game. <laughs> I, I'm with you. I mean, the schedule's a little weak, but but they will get a little bounce in the ACC championship game, no matter who it is, which will most likely be Louisville. Which is a good team. Which is not a bad team. But exactly. They're and a so, top-ten team right now. You know, they've got a difficult trip, in my opinion, to Miami this weekend, But they and then they got to play Kentucky, which mm-hmm. that'll be an in-state bloodbath. So those are two difficult teams. If they win both of those games and Florida State beats them – that's something you can put on your resume. I think so. I think so. And maybe maybe that gets worked out. And, and if Florida State can win out and do that, then maybe they do deserve to be in. Um, the Washington and Oregon thing is going to settle itself out too because while those two teams are on a, on a path to play again – Washington and Oregon have to finish out their season, man. People are forgetting that the Huskies have to go to Corvallis this weekend and take on the 11th-ranked Oregon State Beavers. That's a good football team at night, 6.30 on ABC, the Huskies and the Beavers. They have to win that game to stay alive. Well, yeah, the number five-ranked team in the country going on the road to Oregon State, uh, an underdog two-and-a-half-point dog right it's weird now, to me. which is very, very smelly to Uncle T-Bone. <laughs> we saw a two-and-a-half-point uh, – well, no, actually, they were favored, but when we saw Oklahoma State go on the road to UCF this week. So I guess it's not the worst line I've ever seen, but that, that one doesn't make sense, and not to mention Oregon will play Oregon State next weekend. Yep. Look at Oregon State all of a sudden searching for a conference – and going could be a major disruptor in the conference that's leaving them. Yeah, they could be the reason the Pac-12, after all year being the best conference in the game, they could be the reason the Pac-12 sits at home and watches the college football playoffs. And that, my friends, is called karma. <laughs> yes, it is. You better believe it. Well, it's going to get crazy. I think Texas is done. They lost the running back. He's out for the year with a torn ACL. I just don't think they've got the resume or the team to, to get in. So I don't know about that. They got maybe one of the best wins moving forward. We'll just see what happens with Alabama. We'll have to see what happens. Looking forward to it as college football continues to roll on, and we roll on here in hour number two when we come back here on the Wednesday edition of On the Line.
The following is an Auburn Network production. You are on the line. Live on ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika's sports leader. Online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 1067 app. To be on the line, call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Jacob Goertz. You're on the line here on ESPN 1067, Auburn Opelika Sports Leader. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Hope you're doing well on this Rivalry Wednesday edition of On the Line on ESPN 106.7. I'm your man, Jacob Goins. Alongside me in the Auburn Plaza Bar and Lounge Studio is Uncle T-Bone Wade Bennett, my new co-host on Monday, Wednesday, Fridays. And we are having a good time here on a Wednesday afternoon. Hour number one is officially in the books. You know what that means. Hour number two is underway here on ESPN 106.7. If you missed any of the first hour, uh, talk some Auburn football recruiting um, talked about the potential of the recruiting class for 2024 especially in the receiver room I know there's a lot of buzz with that right now and so uh, we talked a lot about that we started dipping our toe into this whole college football playoff fiasco and we were really getting into it during the break and I think I want to carry it over just a little bit here in hour number two but we also talked with Jordan Hill of Dogs 247 our Georgia beat writer that's with us on the show each Wednesday so if you missed any of that you can find the show on demand uh, wherever you get your podcasts just search on the line or go to our station website at ESPNAU Coming up here in this second hour, we'll talk some more playoffs. We'll talk some more Auburn football as we start to flip the page to New Mexico State this weekend. Um, And then we'll talk with Austin Hannon of Bama Central, the Alabama Sports Illustrated site, as he joins us for Rivalry Wednesday as well. And we'll get caught up on Alabama football and basketball because basketball, I mean, they're doing some unspeakable things to teams right now. So we'll get caught up on that coming up at 3.30. But until then, phone lines are open open we'd love to hear from you 334-321-1390 it looks like we're going to get to the phones in just a second um but looking at the the playoff rankings that's where we were in the first hour looking at the playoff rankings that got released last night um there are so many different possibilities and the big news from last night was georgia jumping ohio state and you still have a handful of about 10 teams that could make it into a four-team playoff. And if it ended right now, we have the answers, but we know so much is going to change in the next three weeks with rivalry weekend and, of course, conference championship weekend as well. Look, there are nine teams in the rankings right now that have at least some type of possibility of getting into the BCS Final Four in this last year. I think that's more teams... Uh, this year it just feels like I'd have to go back and, and look through the data, but I think it's more teams than ever. Uh, you're beginning to see the effects, I believe, of the transfer portal in mm-hmm. NIL. No kind doubt. Kind of scattering talent away from just a few of a handful of the big-time programs. Um, we all agree that the NIL is going to make the uh, rich richer, but it's going to make some of the teams not so rich richer as well. And I believe that you're beginning to see that. Um, you know, look, the likelihood of a team like Louisville at nine uh, getting in is probably less than three to five. 
5%. But there is a pathway there for them if there were complete chaos. I know that's not not really realistic, but we were talking about it before the break, right? Say they beat Miami, 6-4 and four team, all right? They're not the Miami of the old, but that's still a respectable win in, down in Coral Gables, Florida. Then they beat their in-state rival, Kentucky, who has South Carolina this, this week. That could be a seven-win team. Then go to the ACC championship, upset Florida State, all the, and then all of a sudden, chaos is happening all around. Maybe it starts next week. Maybe Auburn takes care of Alabama. Then Alabama takes care of Georgia. And then Texas goes down to Oklahoma State. And you just start rattling this off, and all of a sudden, they're sitting there at four. Yeah. So it, it's going to be a wild couple of weeks. We said this the other day on a text thread, I think. I equate it to the next couple of weeks after this calm before the storm weekend beginning and it may start up in Corvallis this week also the next three weeks in college football is the last five laps of the Talladega 500 (laughs) you're going to be shuffling around you don't want to get caught up in the big one i.e the upset you don't need to have a blowout here you just need to get in a lane pick a lane pick a partner and kind of slingshot to the front and see if you can get there to the end it's time to do a little bit of shake and then bake (laughs) if you're in college football right now let's get to the phone lines 334-321-1390 terry you're on the line man what's up Hey, how's it going, guys? It's going well, man. What's on your mind? And T-Bone, let me tell you, there's a there's a there's only about fifty five percent of the people in Talladega can tell you who won the race. There's so much partying going on. Take it for somebody who lived there for twenty years. I hear you, Terry. Man, I, hey, I went to Talladega for the first time this past year, and that was an unbelievable experience, man. That it was for the uh, the Geico five hundred or whatever it was called. Um, it was Take a lot, be, a lot of fun. You know what NASCAR stands for, don't you? Oh goodness. Non-athletic sport created around rednecks. <laughs> I've never heard that. I love that. That's fantastic. Um, I was curious to get you guys' take on something. Okay. Uh, if it comes down to that that last spot, and it's the choice to Texas and Alabama, and now some think Texas, some think Alabama. Of course, Texas is going to win the head-to-head. Uh, quite honestly, I don't think Alabama's beat anybody. They're they're equal. I think they beat everybody. They're the only play. They're the one equal they played is Texas, and they lost. So. Yeah, what I mean, do you what, think which, the backlash would be in Texas if they if they chose Alabama over Texas? Oh, I mean, there's going to be backlash either way on that scenario, right? Whoever's picked there. Now, look, Alabama to get there would have beaten somebody probably their equal of Texas, if not greater, in the SEC championship Correct. game against number one Georgia, who we probably all agree is going to be number one by the time they get there. So, yeah, I mean, it's going to be a heck of a debate if that goes on goes down. Uh, that debate has already begun, especially here locally. I think you'll hear more chatter locally in the state of Alabama that's pro-Alabama in that uh, even in, in the Lee County area that's pro-Alabama in that scenario. Um, nationally, though, it will be hard to argue that Texas did the follow did not do the following, and it should not matter. It's not like they— you know what I find hey, hold on. Yeah, go ahead. Well, hold on, Terry. Sorry, T-Bow. Yeah, they, Texas went into Tuscaloosa and dominated Alabama pretty much. Not have been a couple of drop passes. The score would have been even worse. It's not like that was at home. It's not like that was in Jerry World and some type of a so-called neutral site game where Texas was the home team. They rolled up into the greatest of all times house at night and beat the brakes off Alabama. Yeah, I just I, I, I'm a, I, what I wonder about is how, if Auburn could upset Alabama – 
how the Alabama fans, the, the homers I talk about, would tell us how Alabama's going to get in with two losses. No, that ain't going to happen. There's no, no chance. I agree, but there, there's some that will do that. I promise you. No, they will. They'll find a way, especially if, because especially if they were to beat Georgia in the SEC championship game after Auburn beats them in the Iron Bowl, because even with that, Alabama will not get into the playoff. But wasn't it about three or four years ago? There's chaos, like T-Bone was talking about. There's two of the three teams or something like that lost in the top four, and Alabama snuck in. Well, remember, they got in a couple of years ago without even playing in Atlanta. Yeah, that was 17. Yeah, no, Alabama's the done that the twice. Yeah, in 2011, they snuck into the, uh, the, the BCS championship game against LSU in a rematch of the so-called game of the century. They were not division champions that year. They had taken care of business against Auburn. But in 2017, they did something that I thought would never happen in this rivalry, one of the teams losing to another and still going on to win a national championship. So they've defied the odds – on more than one occasion, and you cannot put them past that to do it again. But if they lose to Auburn next weekend, they're not getting into the BCS playoff this year, and I don't care what kind of chaos there is. Including, now, Jacob, I got a teacher hanging in my closet right now. Right this very much says Auburn 26, national champion 14. Yep, there you go. So have a good have a good day, guys. Yeah, Appreciate not it, Terry. Only did they lose to Auburn that year, Jacob? They got beat pretty bad up yeah. in Jordan-Hare Stadium. Yeah, yeah, that was an Auburn team that, that put it on them. And then they just turned around and got in anyway. And I, I don't – and I know what Terry's getting at where they will find a way and come up with a form – Alabama fans will find a formula that fits the narrative and tries to get the Crimson Tide into the Final Four. That's not going to happen. Um, and when you start looking at who could be in – Auburn has a huge play in who gets into the college football playoff because if they beat Alabama, that takes them out. I think that would 1,000% solidify Georgia getting to the college football playoff win or lose in Atlanta. And if Alabama beats Auburn next week, then that's where stuff really starts to get weird and freaky because then you're starting to talk about, okay, which SEC team gets in? Does Alabama get in over Texas or vice versa? And with that, I know Terry brought that up at the beginning. Texas has the, the, the head-to-head win. And also in this scenario, we're assuming that Texas is a Big 12 champion. And I'm taking a one-loss Big 12 champ over a lot of teams. I really am. And if it's Alabama that gets to that point, then who do you take? I mean, it, it's... It, it, there's a lot of what ifs and I know you don't like this game it's my favorite the what if game is my favorite but man there's a lot of different options here yeah I mean we might as well just start the conversation I might as well just jump on board with the what ifs because it's going to start next week in full force during rivalry weekend um, and Thanksgiving week and so uh, and everyone else is talking about it so we might as well do it as well uh, Texas the best thing then the best scenario for Alabama obviously is they must win out and or Texas lose Texas at Iowa State Saturday night, giving up about a touchdown, and then they'll host Texas Tech uh, during the during rivalry weekend. Then go to the Big Twelve Championship. Texas has been leaking oil. It looks like the last couple of weeks. I kind of feel like when Malik Murphy stepped in, they started playing a little bit better. He gives them a little bit more of a mobile threat. Uh, Quinn Ewers is back. Maybe he's just been a little rusty, but uh, Texas better get it together because if they keep leaking oil like this, they are going to open the doorway for Alabama to walk on through. Here's the good thing is the fact that 
a lot of these questions and the what-ifs that we are pondering right now, they're going to get answered week by week by week, right? We have three more weeks until we figure out who the Final Four is, and not all, but most of our questions are going to be answered because I think there's a really good chance, given what we're looking at right now with nine potential teams that could make a four-team playoff, I think there's a really good chance that after the conference championship games, we are looking at a situation with five or six teams that could get in and we're truly waiting. Unlike years past where we know who's going to be in and maybe just waiting on the seed lines, this is going to be a year when we're sitting around the TV on that Sunday watching the final college football playoff rankings be released we are not going to know the four teams going into it like we have in years past. I'm, I'm pretty confident in that, given what we're looking at at this current moment right now. Well, I agree with that, and I think that that's what it really feels like is about to happen, that a lot of teams are just going to win on out, and then there's going to be a great debate. But if there is complete chaos, and I'm kind of picking up what Terry's putting down here, look, there's still a lot of chalk left. There's still a lot of golf to play. We're approaching about the 15th hole, right? We're trying to make a run to get our first green jacket in our first championship. But there is the possibility of complete chaos, and we're having a rediscussion on this with some two lost teams. I think in that scenario, scenario though, the last team that slides in is a one-loss, either Michigan or Ohio State. Because what do you do with the team that loses that game like last year, right? Mm-hmm. And Ohio State got in and really proved that they should have been in by, by taking Georgia to the to the mat. So you know that's a team that the loser of the, that game next week is a team to watch out for if there's just a little bit of chaos as well. Yeah, and before we get to break, this is something that um, Michaela, our show producer, has said before. This is a prime example on why the 12-team playoff is is necessary. Because think if you had a 12-team playoff this year, none of this would really matter. These conversations wouldn't matter. It would be about seed lines at that point, right. not about who's in and who's out. Because you would have your guaranteed teams in with the, the conference winners, and, and then you have your at-large bids, right? Yeah, we'd be arguing probably over Missouri and Ole Miss at that point to see who gets in as number 12. I've always said that I felt like 12 was a little too many until this season because now I'm really beginning to see how the talent is dispersing across the nation, and there's a lot of good football teams that you don't want to play. Back in the day, the number 12 team, there was a huge, huge difference between number 6 and number 12. And I always thought, well, let's just do six teams, one and two get a bye, and Mm -hmm. we go from there. But there's a you don't want to play you do not want to play Missouri right now. You do not want to play Oregon State. You really don't want to play Ole Miss if you catch yourself at the wrong time. So now I'm beginning to see why this 12 game playoff actually makes a little sense. Yeah, and we're going to see that next year. But until then, we can sit and ponder and figure out who in the world the top four are going to be. And luckily, we've got a few weeks of games uh, that'll help us answer most of those questions. Three three four three two one thirteen ninety. Would love to get your thoughts on this conversation or anything else on your mind here on a Wednesday afternoon. Give us a call. We'd love to hear from you. We'll talk some Auburn athletics, football, maybe some basketball too when we come back here on the Wednesday edition of On the Line. You are on the line on ESPN 106.7, online at ESPNAU.com or on the ESPN 106.7 app. Let's get back to the phone lines here on the Wednesday edition 
of On the Line, 334-321-1390. Mark, you're on the line, brother. What's up? Hey, guys. How you doing? Doing good, man. Hey, uh, the one thing, a couple of things. Going to 12 teams is not going to eliminate any kind of uh, discussion towards the uh, when the teams are chosen. And as a matter of fact, it's just going to add another dimension to it. Uh, number one, you're going to be disputing about teams number 13, 14, 15, and 16. <laughs> Why are they not right. in right. versus number 12? But even bigger than that, you're still going to have teams five, six, and seven wondering why they're not uh, one of the top seeds getting a buy, which I think is the dumbest thing to give a buy. You should have, if you're going to extend the playoffs, you should go to 16 teams uh, because these teams are not winning anything. They're not doing anything to deserve uh, to get a buy. And, I'm going to bring up Georgia, for instance. Look at their schedule this year. I know they've beaten everybody. They're playing good. They're definitely, in my mind, one of the top teams in the country. But you're rewarding them. You Well, next year you would be rewarding them with a bye based on beating the schedule that they play this year versus, say, you know, somebody that has played a much tougher schedule. You know, if they were to go to 16, I mean, even at 12 next year, say say they were having 12 this year, here's a team and a question I got for you guys. Would, would LSU be a dangerous number 12 seed right now? Mm. I mean, with Jaden Daniels, if he's healthy, when he's not knocked out of games and concussed, would you like to roll up against LSU round one? This season, well, I think that that brings up uh, an interesting point because you know the conversation we have right now, right, Mark, with a four-team playoff is okay. Can a two-loss team get in right now? Just like you said, with the conversation, we'll expand to okay. Well, whoever is at thirteen and fourteen, they're going to be upset that they didn't get in. The conversation's also going to expand to okay. Can a three-loss team get into a twelve-team playoff? And that's exactly where LSU sits right now. And so you're absolutely right. It doesn't it doesn't create less chaos. It just creates almost a different conversation, if you will, Mark. Exactly, along with in that go to the fifth seed. Uh, is that correct? Don't they play the first round home game? Uh, say, you broke up on me. Say that again for me. Aren't, isn't the first round set with home teams? Isn't, isn't the yes, first I think round, so. The first set yes. of games are played on campus. Yeah. Yes. Yep. I think so that in this scenario, even for the teams with a bye, LSU too. Was the 12th team, so LSU would be basically traveling to what? Washington right now? Uh, as of right now, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. The over/under uh, on that game would be eighty. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> there would be no defense in that game. No. But the uh, uh, that's why ever since they announced they were going to twelve, I was thinking, you know, what were they drinking in that room when they said, "Why don't we just go to sixteen? And I don't know if you guys, people, I don't know how old you guys are, but uh, you remember basketball did the exact same thing. It used to be, what, 24 or – and then it went to 32 or something like that? Yeah, yeah. It was a while you know, a while ago, yeah, and then they eventually got to, to what it is now, 64 and technically 68. 68. 
exactly. Because the final, yeah. the last four in, they're in the tournament. If they win, they win the national championship. Yep, that's right. So anyway, I think the new playoff just going to add a couple of more arguments. It's just going to change them from one area to another. That's right. I'm with you on that, Mark. Hey, great to hear from you, man. Right. We appreciate the call. Have a good- you know, one thing that when I was thinking about when they went to 12, and I kind of see where he's going with this. I mean, if you're going to go right. to 12, you might as well just go to 16, and, and I agree with him. But I, I really felt like, and let me put my uh, tinfoil Auburn conspiracy theorist hat oh, on here, guys. Here we so go. I'll do this from time to time. I was like, oh, they're going to 12 because these big-name schools – realize that NIL and realize that uh, Transfer Portal is kind of sabotaging some of their roster and talent's being dispersed, and they feel like, you know, we're not going to always be on top, but since we're a big-time school, I don't know, like Ohio State or Alabama, we're, we feel like we'll always be around the top 12, so let's start pushing for a little expansion here, and that way we're always in. And I was like, yeah, I can, you know, I kind of thinking these big schools just want to always have their little Willy Wonka golden ticket into the big dance, right? But actually, I think that the expansion, just like NIL and just like uh, uh, the transfer portal, is going to benefit kind of a less than big time program example for Auburn. And let me tell you something, this should terrify somebody like Georgia right now. So, what if you play Auburn next year and you beat them? Auburn runs the table and y'all run the table and you go to the SEC championship and you barely beat Auburn again. And that's a two-loss Auburn team that's sitting there kind of like Missouri this year and they're scrappy and they got a great offense and everybody's talking about them and oh me, they only lost to Georgia twice. And you got to see them a third time in the college football playoffs. That's terrifying to one of these big-time teams because it's hard enough to beat somebody twice in one season. What if you got to go against them three times? Yeah, you're going to start seeing that. There's no doubt about it. In the 12-team in the playoff, you will start seeing rematches and, and double rematches and triple rematches sometimes uh, from conferences like the SEC or even like the Pac-12, which isn't going to exist anymore, but... For this year, for example, right? 12-team playoff with the Pac-12. You'd have Washington, Oregon, Oregon State would all be in right now. Utah's flirting with it. I know they've kind of dropped off, but you get what I'm saying. Sure. Washington and Oregon have already played. Both of those teams are playing Oregon State in the final two weeks of the year. Washington and Oregon are about to play again in the Pac-12 championship game. And then, yeah, in a 12-team playoff, there's a really good chance you're going to see one of those two teams play again, play each other. And so... I don't know. Is that good for college football or is it not? I think that's up to everybody's different interpretation. You know, what's going to be the determining factor, right? You know, we debated this so much over the years from, you know, when it was just one and two and then there was number three left out like Auburn was in 2004, USC was in 2003. That's debated now five and six. What was the deciding factor? What really got the other teams over the hump? What's going to get the the teams over the hump around 12 and 13? Because here's what I'm going to do if I'm a team like Auburn. I'm not going to go out and schedule big time. I'm talking about big time non-conference 
opponents anymore. I might play. I'm gonna play a Power Five team, but it's not with the SEC schedule now. Right. It's not going to be the USC's of the world. It's going to be more like the Pitts and Boston Colleges of the world because all I want to do is make sure I'm at least at around number ten, like Missouri is this year. Missouri may is so hot and everybody likes them, but they may not even have a win over a, a top twenty ranked team this season, and they would probably be getting in. So let's let's kind of water down that schedule because the SEC conference schedule so much. And let's not really even worry about trying to go to the conference championship game anymore. Why even have them? Because there's a 12-team and possibly a 16-team playoff down the road. I don't want to play in that game. Yeah. You can win the conference. Just get me in the big dance. It's a lot turning a lot like basketball, right? I don't care what happens because I know Bruce Pearl's going to have me in the big dance. That's right. Well, you know why they're going to play all these games? Because games create money, and money is what runs college football. I had a huge thing about this yesterday on the I'd show. I'd rather be third in the SEC moving forward than first because I'm going to the, conference, the college football championship i bet at number three every single year i mean i think that's a fair point it really does and it sparks uh some really really intriguing conversations as it continues to get ugly and continues to get confusing but it's all so much fun this is why we love college football so much as we're coming down the home stretch when we come back austin hannon of bama central the sports illustrated site for alabama he'll join us and i'm sure he's got some thoughts on this college football playoff conversation we'll get caught up on the alabama crimson and Tide football team and basketball team when we come back. We've got 30 more minutes here on the Rivalry Wednesday edition of On the Line on ESPN 106.7. He is Uncle T-Bow and Wade Bennett. I'm your man, Jacob Goins, and we are joined by Austin Hannon of Bama Central, the Sports Illustrated site for Alabama. He joins us every Wednesday for Rivalry Wednesday. Austin, great to hear from you, man. It's a busy time for you, and we appreciate you taking some time to talk to us here on this Wednesday afternoon. Absolutely. I think it's uh, everybody in the SEC, you know, if you're a fan base of any of these teams, your least favorite week of the season is Cupcake Week. It's the week before the Iron Bowl, um, and everybody's teeing off on some high school teams, and it's great. So, um, you know, it, it's a less stressful week. It, it requires probably a little bit less work, and I'm all ears for that. Well, let's talk a little bit about the Alabama Crimson Tide. They've gotten the football side of things. We'll get to basketball in a minute. Uh, but last two, three weeks, really, uh, Alabama got the win over Tennessee. They got the big win over LSU. And they went to Lexington on Saturday and didn't let an 11 a.m. kickoff affect them at, at all. They beat the uh, they beat the Kentucky Wildcats 49-21 to there in Lexington. Break it down for us, man. What would you see? Yeah, I actually think it was a little bit worse than the score showed. Um, I think there were some missed opportunities. I think there were a couple mistakes, like Alabama turned the ball over twice. Um, so I, I think it, there were, it was open for it being worse. Uh, obviously, Jalen Murrow had six touchdowns. He becomes the third quarterback uh, in Alabama history to do that in one game, the first two being Tua and Bryce Young. So that's pretty good company, if, if I had to say. Um, he just continues to elevate his game every week. He's, I believe, sixth or fifth. Um, and Heisman odds now, which who would have thought that uh, in week three when I went down to Tampa and he got benched for Tyler Buckner and Ty Simpson, and that was a week after Texas came to town and beat them, and he turned the ball over in costly ways. Um, and look at us now. He's, he's about to be in the top five for Heisman voting. So, um, I mean, just 
it's been crazy how the season has kind of rolled along here. And I wouldn't say I've been crazy surprised, but I I think um, anybody and everybody's got to be a little bit surprised about how um, drastic it seems like the team has come from, you know, back in mid-September to where they are now. So um, the Kentucky game was no different. I thought they played great on the defensive end. You know, even without a couple starters in there, I thought, like I've said before, Milrow did another great job of, um, you know, I think he had one mistake where he kind of forced the ball on, on, you know, across his body on the sideline and threw the one interception. But other than that, he looked great. And, you know, the Alabama team continues to kind of rise up the ranks here in college football. Yeah, Austin, uh, after the week two game, Jalen Milrow, he struggled a little bit. Did still make plenty of plays in the Texas game. Alabama ended up grabbing a lead in the fourth quarter before Texas took control and then the subsequent uh benching or whatever uh you want to call it i think a lot of us around here kind of think nick saban was just kind of sending a message to the fans saying uh look what Jalen mill wrote well look at what we are without him why is he not getting a little bit more love for the heisman because um you know i told people after week two uh if alabama doesn't want him i'll sure take him down here on the plains yeah it it is interesting and i think that a lot of people when they think about Jalen milrow um, they still some part of their brain still thinks back to earlier in the season, and they're like that. He just can't be that guy. He can't be that because of those moments. And I don't totally disagree. I think you know we've seen better complete seasons from Bo Nix, your guys' old friend, from Jaden Daniels, from Michael Penix. And even Penix has had his struggles at times this year. Uh, but I, I think Milro hasn't had. You know, he's he turned it on late, but that's why he's still a long shot to win the Heisman is because of that early start. And I think that's what a lot of people agree with is that, you know, to win that thing, you kind of have to have a complete, you know, complete season. And if he comes back next year, which I don't really know where that situation stands right now, because he is eligible for the draft this year. Uh, but I, I would have a hard time believing that he would go ahead and leave this year uh, based off what we've seen. So he'll have a great opportunity to win it next year. And um, I think if he continues to improve week by week, I mean, this, that guy could be uh, Jalen Milrow next December in New York. So, um, it's a good question. I, I think, like I said, I think there's there were some stuff earlier in the year that you know kind of have to have the complete season to win that award, and um, I don't think he's quite done that. He's turned it on great late here, though. Well, given how the season has gone so far, Austin, we see Alabama as the number eight team in the country thanks to the newest college football playoff rankings last night, and we know they'll be taking on Georgia once again in Atlanta for the SEC championship game. We've had a lot of discussion on the show today about what the playoff is going to look like, and we know there's a lot of questions to be answered, um, and a lot of those will be answered over the next few weeks, but what is it going to take, in your opinion, uh, for Alabama to somehow find their way into the playoff to the very disgruntlement of all of my listeners here in Auburn? I don't know. I'm still in that boat, Jacob, that a lot of people are still in. That I know Alabama's number eight. I know that the, the, the committee is still putting Oregon, which you've seen my disgruntlement with that on Twitter, but <laughs> I think a lot of people yeah. agree on that. On that I think even Auburn fans would agree that you know their SEC counterpart has had more quality wins, has looked just more impressive, I would say, on from the eye test of some of those games they played. And I think the resume is there. Obviously, Texas, you have the obstacle with the head-to-head loss, and you can't really argue that. You can't. I think you can argue that Alabama's been a better team since that night, but that doesn't necessarily mean they should be ranked higher. I, I think Alabama should be over Oregon. I would still keep Texas ahead of Alabama just because of the head-to-head. I think if they played again, I think I told you this last week, 
I think if they played head-to-head again next week on neutral field, Alabama would win by maybe double digits. Um, the way they're playing on both sides of the ball. Wow. The way Texas is kind of fooling around. You know, they, they, they've had injuries at quarterback. Years is back, and they're still trying to get things together. Now they're out without Jonathan Brooks, the running back, who tore up the Crimson Tide in Tuscaloosa. So um, they, they've got question marks, and they've got a big game this weekend at Jack Trice Stadium on Saturday night that a lot of people shouldn't be looking across because based off what we've seen from Texas the last four or five weeks and based off what we've seen from Iowa State the last four or five weeks, I think they've won four of the last five. That game could get interesting on Saturday night. So uh, keep an eye on that one. But to get into the playoff, to answer your question, I mean, they, they I think they know what they have to do. Um, and like I was saying before, I'm in that boat that if this Alabama team beats Chattanooga, they go to Auburn and win the Iron Bowl, and then they go to Atlanta, Georgia as an underdog and defeat the two-time back-to-back national champs that have won almost 30 games in a row, I don't think you leave that team out of the playoff, no matter what. I, I, I I still think that there might be some dominoes that fall, but I just don't see the day coming right now that a one-loss SEC champion that has won, let's see, if, if at that point it would be 11 games in a row right. since September 9th, and a big win, you know, depending, I guess, on the margin of victory, too, uh, against Georgia in December. I mean, I, I find I have a hard time believing that you leave that team out. Austin, this week historically for SEC teams has been – uh, kind of, well, just downright weak competition-wise. It's something I have uh, termed the calm before the storm weekend of rivalry weekend. Uh, in the SEC West, if you take a look, the the opponents that those uh, SEC Western Division teams have a combined record of 35 and 36. On the upside of that, though, UT Chattanooga is a seven-win team and New Mexico State, who's playing Auburn's an eight-win team. Uh, consisting of 42% of those wins. What what do you, what do you tell fans over on your side of the state uh, about games like this and, and, you know, especially being that early in the morning? Yeah, I, I don't really think you can tell them anything. I mean, you'll see Brian Denny Stadium on ESPN Plus at 11 a.m. on Saturday. Ooh, yep, yeah. It's about, it's about 50% full, right? <laughs> you know, I do my job. I report on the game. Alabama wins by halftime, and – we start getting focused on coming to Auburn next week. So, I mean, that, that's really the, all there is. Uh, Nick Saban wanted, wouldn't want to hear me say that, but it's really just for a lot of SEC teams, which it, even the teams that aren't, you know, playing a team like that this weekend are maybe playing a conference game like South Carolina, Kentucky, stuff like that. Uh, those teams already played their second bye week game. Like right. Tennessee already played UConn two weeks ago. I mean, a couple of these teams have already done it. So everybody's doing it. It really is just a second bye week. It, it's an opportunity to um, – give a smaller school at Chattanooga an opportunity to make some money and get to be on the national stage for a week. And I, and I think probably all the people on their, on their end, you know, the players and coaches are very excited for this. So um, I don't think the expectations are high, but I think it's, it's probably pretty cool for some of the players on that team and to get to kind of say, Hey, to their family and friends, I get to go play at Brian Denny stadium this weekend. And uh, yeah, we'll probably lose 56 to zero, but it's a good learning opportunity. And it, it's kind of a fun thing to wrap up their season. We're speaking with Austin Hannon of Bama Central, who joins us every Wednesday during On the Line on ESPN 106.7. Flipping over to basketball, uh, three games into the season for Alabama, they have not played uh, what I would consider super high-quality opponents, but regardless, they've put up triple digits in their first three games, 105, 102, and again with 102 last night over South Alabama. Man, what's going on at Tuscaloosa? What, where, did the, where did the explosion come from out of the offseason, man? Highly efficient offense, and this is with 
without Grant Nelson last night, really doing, I, I don't want to say not doing much offensively because as a guy that played basketball when I was younger, getting assists, getting rebounds, blocking shots, uh, obviously has an impact on the game, and he did all those things. But he didn't really score it very well, and they, and they were still able to put up the triple digits for the third time this year. And I think more importantly for Nate Oates, this was, and I wrote the story on it last night about this, they played defense. You know, they, they, they hadn't done that in the first two games. He had challenged all the players after those first two games that, hey, I'm going to say it again. If you guys don't start playing defense, you're not going to get minutes. We're too deep to have guys out there that don't care about playing defense. And if you don't do it, you're not going to play. And so um, I think the guys that that was kind of targeted towards played a lot better on the defensive end. And it showed for the rest of the team. I mean, South Alabama is a good basketball team. Obviously, they lost to Mobile in the first game, which was not the way where they wanted to start their season. But they had given Alabama pretty two tough fights uh, over the last two years, including a team that was the number one overall team in the tournament last year. And I believe Alabama last year won that game by 10 down in Mobile. So Hey, they've given Auburn some fights that, over the years too, Austin. Yeah, absolutely. And so that, that's a good program led by Richie Riley. And I believe the line closed at Alabama 20 and a half, and they ended up winning by nearly 60. So, I mean, that tells you all you need to know. Vegas knows about how good South Alabama is, and the numbers showed that, and they nearly tripled it. So I think it was a great performance on both ends of the offense. Obviously, it looks like it's going to be there all year. It looks like that's going to be the strength of the team. But if they can continue to play defense, this is another team that can absolutely compete for an SEC title. Well, they haven't played big, big names yet to start the season for Alabama basketball, but they do have Ohio State and Clemson coming up on the schedule at the end of November, um, which those teams aren't, again, they're not great. They're big names, of course, but Alabama's got some great teams on the schedule. Don't you worry if you if any of our Auburn listeners haven't looked at Alabama's non-con schedule just yet in December. Here are three games in a row. Are you ready for this? Number two, Purdue number eight Creighton, and number three Arizona back to back to back. Austin, that is as tough as it gets in college basketball. And not a single one of those games is in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. They're going to Toronto to play Purdue and Zach Eady, which I think Alabama fans are already having nightmares about Zach Eady being in the paint and and trying to defend that. Um, And then you've got to go to Phoenix to play Arizona. You've got to go to Creighton for a true road game. Uh, but yeah, it's going to be very difficult. I mean, all those teams, you know, you, you know what you're going to get. They're veteran teams. They've got good players. Um, Arizona's got Jaden Bradley, who actually played at Alabama last year. Um, so they're, they're, you're familiar with the players that are on these teams, and uh, that's going to be a very difficult stretch. I think. I think if you're an Alabama fan, you take one of those three, and you say, "All right, we'll take one win, and then we'll use the other two just to make our resume look a little better with the losses and the quad one losses." And you just kind of try to get out of there with one and two. And if you go two and one, I think you're the happiest guy on the planet. Yeah. I don't think there's any real – there's no reason to, to, to realistically expect them to win all three. So I think you go in with hoping for one, and if you get two, then you're the happiest You're the happiest fan on the earth. Yeah, well, I'm looking forward to that stretch, and, and Alabama fans may not since that is such a tough stretch, man. That's unbelievable. But uh, this Bama team so far, uh, they're high-flying, they're high-scoring, and they're, they're having some fun right now and uh, looking forward to them playing some big teams coming up down the road. Austin Hannon of Bama Central, who joins us every Wednesday here on ESPN 106.7 for Rivalry Wednesday. We appreciate you and your time as always, brother. Let everybody know uh, where they can find you, find all your work, and that incredible coverage you're going to have for Alabama Chattanooga this Saturday at Bryant-Denny. Yeah, absolutely. It'll be on BamaCentral.com for all our stories, not just mine, but everybody else's. We do video content. We do podcasts. We do football, basketball. I mean, we do, we do about just about all of it, recruiting, 
Um, and if you want to follow my independent ventures, you can follow me on Twitter at AustinHand underscore, and everything will be there. Awesome, man. Well, hey, we appreciate it. We're looking forward to having you uh, on the show. Uh, we'll have to figure out some times next week. I know it's, it's holidays and everything, and we'll de- definitely talk off the air. But looking forward to previewing the Iron Bowl with you next week. Absolutely. Can't wait. Thanks, Austin. That is Austin Hannon of Bama Central, who joins us every Wednesday for Rivalry Wednesday here on On the Line on ESPN 106.7. We'll take our final break, come back. We'll get to the phone lines as we wrap it up here on the Wednesday edition of On the Line. You are on the line on ESPN 106.7. Call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. Winding down here on the Wednesday edition of On the Line on ESPN 106.7. Let's get to the phone lines quickly before we get out of here. 334-321-1390. And Tim, you're on the line. What's up, man? Hey, fellas. I just heard the conversation earlier about conference champion, uh, about the playoffs. And, yeah. And once Wade brought up the conference championships, I think that's something that everybody's talking about. And everyone wants to go to 12 or to 16. Everyone wants to jigger the rankings and all that stuff. But what nobody's talking about is what is not working, which is the rankings and things get overlooked. It's it's all about the ESPN money. It's all about the NCAA being toothless and they they're tails wagging the dog. Yeah, you know? yeah, no. I mean, look, there's no there's no doubt that money runs it all, and I mean that's that's why they're going to expand the playoff. It's not to make teams happy and to get more teams in and make it more fair. No, they're doing it to get more games in college football, which is more television money, which is more money for everybody. But that's the tail wagging the dog. There'll be plenty of money to go around. But here, I'll quickly get into it. Here's my idea for a more fair, balanced, more interesting dynamic playoff system. Okay. We'll just call it an AFC-NFC model, right? We move this stuff around where there's four 16-team conferences. Mm-hmm. So we get, we get uh, balance and parity and all that stuff. And divisions going away is a terrible idea. I want to play LSU every year, you know? But we have East and West. Other conferences can call them what they want. They can dissolute the Big 12 into the Pac-16 and the ACC. You know, Pacific, Atlantic, Southern, and whatever the big guys want to call themselves. But you go just conference uh, division champs, no conference championship, which is a good point that Wade made, because it's just one more battle that the two best teams are hitting each other before the playoffs. So in Auburn, the East and the West would go into the NFC, AFC type of side, and each conference would have the division that goes into all that side, and you just have a fixed rotating model. It would take three years. So, hey, this year, the Pac-12 North is going to play the SEC West, and that's your first branch of the playoffs, you know? And if two two champions in one conference are good enough, they'll meet in the national championship. So this is what I've been saying for a while, Tim, and I love the idea, is that you're eventually going to have to go to just four, possibly five of 20, but that just really doesn't add up math-wise, mega conferences, and uh, I hate to say it, everyone else is just going to get left out. The smaller schools are finished. They can kind of fill in 
as fillers for and round out the field during the regular season. But I'm with you. There needs to be a set formula like there is in the NFL of some sorts, first of all, to so there's no more of this biased eye test, beauty pageant type picking. And yeah. look, the eye test most of the time is the right way, but I'm a big believer that a couple of things really should matter more than anything. That's head-to-head competition, record, conference champion or division champion in your model or not okay and that's just all there is to it not to mention with the way expansions happening they're going to probably re-expand or uh, re-contract some way because it's going to be ridiculous to have UCLA traveling across the country to play Rutgers, not just in football, but basketball, baseball, and uh, w- women's volleyball, you name it. And that's going to that's gonna put a real strain on a lot of teams monetarily. Yeah, I think Chip Kelly said it, maybe first, that may be best, maybe loudest. But Notre Dame's independent in football, but ACC and all other sports, if they can get away with it, why can't we all do that? You know, it's time to move to sort of a semi-pro college football and that could be these elite 64 and if everybody else isn't in it you got you guys are the new division one you know yeah yeah something like that 64 can be fixed and so there's no more like oh will the sec get three teams in no they get two in the playoffs right the east and the west and the conference championships just whoever finishes best in the playoff system hmm I don't hate it, man. I really don't hate it. I think it's a good idea, and I think it's something that will. Um, I think it's something that'll be taken into consideration. Tim, we appreciate the call, man. Great to hear from you. Thanks, fellas. Have a good yeah, one. Yeah, give us a call back sometime, Tim. Don't be a stranger. I'm with you. They're going to tweak this thing probably from now until forever until they get to that semi-pro model look we're in semi-pro money with players getting paid with free agency you might as well do it with the playoffs also yeah i'm with you and there's so many things uh, i like that sim you know semi-pro college football i've said that with contracts i mean i think players are going to eventually recruits are going to have to start signing contracts for schools with nil and in the transfer portal being as wild as it is i mean i think that's a possibility and and yeah they're going to have to to change something it's not just for the benefit of the college but if i'm a a player and i'm signing for big time money i want to make sure that the money i'm signing for is protected Mm -hmm. and i'm going to get it and then i'm not just going to get cut you know thrown to the wolves if i if, if if another coach leaves or the booster that promised me that in nil to you know unfortunately dies or something like that yeah no i mean there's so many situations that have to be considered and covered whether it be nil and transfer portal or the college football playoff expansion retraction playoff conference championship games whatever i mean it's they don't know we don't know and they don't know nobody good news is though we can talk about it for a very long time heck yeah we can we can talk about it as long as we want to here on the wednesday edition of on the line we appreciate you all being here tomorrow is a busy show chris gordy head coach keith etheridge and brad law from the auburn sports network you don't want to miss it two to four right here on espn 1067 until then stay safe and i'll talk to you later